Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll get to meet my fellow Albertan, Kristen Graves from Fifth Gen Gardens. Kristen's family farm started in 1918 when her great-great-grandfather purchased the land to pasture his cattle on. 100 years later, she is the fifth generation to farm on this land, making her own way by growing vegetables and running a CSA. Can't wait for you guys to hear Kristen's great story. But before we get to Kristen and her interview, let's go over the review of the week. The review of the week comes from CJBB via Apple Podcast. It is titled The Best Podcast. This five-star rating and review says, this is such an amazing podcast. You always have such interesting guests. And as an aspiring woman in egg, I love hearing these stories. All these women are so inspiring. Well, I certainly agree with you. Thank you so much for leaving this great review over on Apple Podcasts. And if you guys have been enjoying the show, make sure you head on over to Apple and If you're not subscribed already, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating and review over there and you guys can hear your kind words on an upcoming episode. You guys may have seen earlier this week on social media that I celebrated a fun anniversary this week. It is my third year sharing my story online, which I took some time and celebrated by myself at Starbucks drinking a coffee and writing a blog. So if you guys didn't check out that blog post. It's up on wildrosefarmer.com. It's a happy anniversary post to me. I started my Instagram page three years ago while I was sitting on a beach chair on my honeymoon. And I guess I haven't really looked back since. That's a lie. I have looked back. There's definitely times I thought, what the heck am I doing sharing all of this information with strangers on the internet? But Luckily for me, these strangers have turned into some of my dearest friends, and I just want to thank you guys all for being along on the ride with me of sharing my journey in agriculture online through Instagram, Facebook, my blog, and this very podcast. So thank you so much all for being here and tuning in each and every week to the Rural Woman podcast. I wouldn't be here without you. I'm also releasing a post today about the most important things I have learned about sharing my story online. So you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and head over to the blog and check out those new posts. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to my friend Kristen from Fifth Gen Gardens. Hey, Kristen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thanks for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be a part of it. I am so excited to share your unique story in agriculture with my listeners. So for my listeners who are unfamiliar with the Kristen Graves, tell us a bit more (laughs) about yourself and where you're from. Well, first of all, I like that it's the Kristen Graves. So yeah, I'm Kristen. I am a fifth generation farmer. I grew up just southeast of Atasquan on our farm. I have a market garden. I run a CSA and I'm also trying to learn the ins and outs of conventional grain farming from my dad and my grandpa. And um, we still have a pretty functional 
family farm out there. That's great. So tell us more about your family farm and what you guys do there. You said grain farming. What kind of grain are you growing and what does your operation look like? So we've done a little bit of everything over the years. Like I said before, agriculture has always been a big part of our lives, but it's always slightly different. And so, yeah, over the generation, there's been a lot of different types of crops. Most recently, we've mainly stuck to canola and wheat on our farm here. It started out in kind of like the early 1900s. My great-great-grandfather was there and um, the land has been passed down too. And so now we are mostly a grain farm at the moment along with my own market garden. But there's always been a little bit of a different look to the farm. When I was younger, my parents had about a 900 of cattle. We had a cow-calf operation and they did that for a number of years. And then... Oh, probably 20 years ago now, we sold the cattle. And um, for quite a while after that, it was most consistently just grain. After a little while, my dad started up a trout farm, which was kind of a unique thing and um, has recently kind of stepped away from that again. And that's kind of where I've come into the story. Our farm has always been a family run farm. Usually you can see more than three generations, three generations working together, which is kind of cool. And now our operations are mostly my dad and I in harvest, and we managed to somehow do it just the two of us for the most part. And my mom keeps us all well fed because if you ever met a group, you know just how important that is. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the most important thing of harvest anyways, is the food that you're going to get. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like we both, my dad and I both, we don't get fed. We're not happy people. Nice to keep that going. (laughs) That's great. And good for your mom for keeping you guys fed. That is a tough job. (laughs) (laughs) If you've been listening to the Real Woman podcast, then you've heard me talk all about my favorite natural deodorant from KL Skin Naturals. But did you know that they're more than just a deodorant company? My friend Leah has amazing foot butters, yummy lip balms, dreamy skin creams, and has recently introduced brand new handmade soaps into the mix. Clean and simple, these handmade bars of soap lather richly and leave skin feeling super soft. Pure kaolin clay and activated charcoal gently cleanse away toxins, and the rustic hand-cut bars are long-lasting and smell amazing. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your next order. So Kristen, growing up, did you think that you wanted to stay on the farm or did you have different curations? You know, growing up on the farm, I always loved it. My parents taught us to love our land and to love kind of what the farm means to us. I grew up in the field riding in the combines or in the tractor or whatever, but I never actually was an active part of the farm. To be completely honest, when I was, you know, 16 and should be learning those things, I was a little more boy crazy and I was a ballerina and had other (laughs) aspirations and being there. And then when I turned 18 and graduated high school, I moved up to Edmonton and furthered my education. And I graduated as an x-ray technologist in 2009. So for the better part of a decade, I worked as an x-ray tech up at the U of A hospital here. And quite honestly, if anybody had asked me 10 years ago, even five years ago, if I ever thought that I would be farming, I would have just laughed at them and been (laughs) 
Like I, I had no sense of it at all. I always cared about our farm, but never actually saw myself as the farmer, so to speak. For sure. So what brought you back to the farm? Well, that's kind of a hard part of my story here. I worked, like I said, up at the U of A. And um, for those of you who don't know, that is a number one trauma institute here in Alberta. And so I spent a great deal of time working in emergency and uh, trauma. And I honestly, I loved my job. It was, you know, everything I wanted. I worked shift work and I had my days free. I worked evenings and it was fast paced and I learned a lot and I loved it right up until the day that I like absolutely couldn't handle it anymore. And so what I think happened was just all these years working in trauma and seeing all these horrible things happen. I got to the point where I couldn't handle it anymore. And um, it honestly all comes down to one day, one case, and it was just the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. And I left the hospital that day knowing that this just wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't for me. It completely shook how I felt about everything. And unfortunately, after that point, I started suffering from night terrors. And um, I would go for days without sleeping because I was afraid I would see when I closed my eyes. And it just, it quickly became evident that I was not okay. And I wasn't, especially was not okay in that environment. And so it was a really hard lesson to learn. I coincidentally had taken some time off that same year in the fall to help my dad with harvest. We typically had hired help up until that point and that um, for whatever reason we didn't. And so I went home thinking I would be this great help. And unfortunately, I think I made more work than actually helped that year. I had this basic idea that I, you know, grew up on the farm and grew up around all these practices and thought I knew the way to do it. And I watched dad do it and he makes it look so easy. And, uh, yeah. And then I actually came to trying to do this stuff and run this equipment and even driving the truck, which I was completely convinced was standard. That was not the case. And it was a big shock that I all of a sudden realized I didn't know how to actually farm. I had no idea how to do these things. And it was kind of a big realization to me that like, this is where I come from. This is who we are. This is what our family is about. And it was something I really wanted to learn. And so all that kind of ties together that year, I also had a garden for the first time. And I was just, it was kind of my long and slow way of finding my way back to my roots. And those six weeks that I had off in the fall, I finally was able to feel like myself again. And I was kind of where I started to heal and realize that there is life outside of the hospital and that it's okay to not be the same person or not want to be the way I was, if that makes sense. So from there, it kind of sparked an idea that I have this garden. I love this farm. I love this land. Maybe I could find a way to incorporate all of that together into one big thing. And that could be my job for the rest of time now. So it kind of took me pretty much two years to get to the point where I could walk away from my job. The first year, first winter, I started telling people like, this is my crazy idea. And I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed with people in my life who said, don't do it. That's a bad idea. They all just looked at me and were like, you're so passionate about this. Do it. You have to follow through with this. You're so happy when you're talking about it. Like, Just do it. Find a way and do it. 
And so that first I researched it like crazy. I looked up anything I could find about market gardens and CSAs. And one way or another, my first season was kind of a trial to see if it actually work. And, you know, that first year, like looking back on it, it was pretty crude and, you know, not well thought out. And it was really on the fly. And it had a lot to learn from. The point was that I was able to do it. I had a successful year and kind of had learned where I wanted to take this vision. So I worked for two more years at my job in the hospital. And then after that point, it would have been last spring, I quit my job. And that was when I put myself 100% into my garden and the farm. And so that in itself was the most terrifying and rewarding thing that I've ever done. It was really risky and scary to all of a sudden not have a paycheck, to not have a steady job, to not have something to fall back onto. But I also realized that I couldn't do both. I couldn't fully invest myself in the garden if I was still working full-time up here. And I couldn't really put myself back into my job if I was trying to be at the farm all the time. And so I'm constantly just torn between those two worlds. And it was enough that I wanted to just completely make that jump. And last year, I expanded my garden. I upped my client base. I almost tripled it, actually. And it was hard. It was very hard, but it was 100% worth it. That is so incredible, Kristen. And congratulations, first of all, on your successful market garden. But honestly, the story that you have of working at the hospital and experiencing that, I just want to acknowledge how incredibly difficult that must have been for you. And even to continue working for two years after that, it's just incredible. So you are an inspiring lady, Kristen. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, it definitely doesn't always feel like it. And, you know, like trying to keep working with the hospital, it was tough. It was like a eight hour long panic attack for two years every time I worked. And so it's something I don't like to talk a lot about. It's something I would rather just move past from and be grateful that I had this amazing job on my start in life. But it also makes me a lot more grateful to have found my way back to the farm and to really appreciate what my life means with it in it now. For sure. And I think it's so great that you had those people in your life that were to you to do this project there. I know there's a lot of people and a lot of naysayers out there of saying like, are you sure you should do this? But obviously the passion that you had for this project was glowing because these people encouraged you to move forward with your dream. So that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm very lucky in that sense. And I also, I think part of it too, is that I'm just, once I get an idea in my head, I'm pretty tenacious about it and I'm stubborn and it's like a dog with a bone. Like I don't let it go. I feel like sometimes my family just didn't have a choice. (laughs) I like it. This is where it was going to (laughs) go. I like that a lot. Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, 
draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shout outs on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Tell us more about your garden, fifth gen gardens. My first summer that I ever had a garden here. Well, actually I, I should probably go back a little bit further. When we were growing up, my mom always had a big garden and I grew up with the memories of going out and then picking peas for a snack or trying to get the freshest raspberries when they were right there on and, you know, pulling a carrot just straight out of the ground and eating it with the dirt on. Like it's like any good farm kid, you would be it tastes like. And so over the course of my life, I guess, eventually my mom stopped gardening because we had a really huge population of deer on the farm and um, they just ate everything and kind of took away it. and one thing led to another and long story short, we were without a garden for a few years. And so that's when I started thinking, like, I really wanted to have that fresh food again and to know what it felt like to grow my own food. And because of the deer issue, my way around it and without having to build a fence was to actually break ground within our already existing cattle corrals. And so these are, they're steel bars and, you know, like they're, we had sorting pens and a big pen in the middle and, and all together it was about a quarter of an acre, maybe a half of an acre. So not huge, but definitely more than enough for our family. And it's beautiful soil in there. It was, it was corrals for I don't know, 40, 50 years, something like that, maybe even more. And it sat dormant for 20 years. So the nitrogen had time to burn off. And it's just this beautiful black soil that's just well fertilized. And so things grow really well in there. And so my first garden was me and my mom, my sister, and everybody kind of pitching in. And I learned a lot that year about practices that my mom always did. And when I asked her, like, well, why would you plant, you know, your potatoes that distance or that far apart or, you know, something like that. And her answer was always, well, that's what my mom taught me. And I, I really enjoyed learning so much of our family's traditions that way. So yeah, so my first year with Fifth Gen Gardens was still in that small garden, although I did expand into the sorting pens that were kind of on the outside there. And I tried a lot of vertical growing that year because I was trying to grow a wide variety of crops in a small area and um, it seemed to help to grow them up instead of out. So it was a really cool garden that year. It was really lush and jungly. And, you know, once you got to the back corner, you had no idea if anybody else was in there with you. And it was a really neat experience. But my business that year was about 15 people. And, um, after that point, I realized that I needed more space if I was going to expand my business. And so last year, I broke ground on a field just in front of us there. And it equals to about three and a half acres now. So I have more than enough room than I probably will ever need. But because I was able to expand the garden space, I was able to double my client base for that second year. And I had about 50 people. I guess that's way more than double. <laughs> My math is bad. <laughs> 
But again, it was a really big learning experience. And I went from being close to our buildings where I had access to power and to a tap for water and all these different things. And then even though I'm still not far from the house, this new garden of mine has on it. So we had to build a fence the first year. And after quickly realizing that I was not going to be able to water this giant garden by myself, I had to use all irrigation system. And so there was just a lot of things that came with growing in a bigger space with more crops involved in a larger quantity. And so this year was my third year with fifth gen. And even though it was without a doubt the hardest year weather-wise, it was still, it was a profitable year. And again, I was able to increase my number of clients to 75. And I feel like every year I learn these big lessons on how to farm or how to garden or whichever way you want to look at it. And the thing about farm lessons is that they're never learned the easy way. It's always, always the hard way. And so it's been a big learning curve and there's been a lot of trial and error and a lot of mistakes, but I feel like with each one of those, I'm able to push through that or overcome it and then make it better for next year. And my dad actually said to me this year, because of how bad we had so much rain and we had hailstorms and honestly, pretty much every bad weather thing happened this year. And it was a tough year for everybody in the agriculture business. I was kind of having a hard day. And he said to me that, you know, farming isn't so much about this year. It's always about next year. It's about the future. Like you're not really thinking towards what am I doing right now? But it's more, how can I make it better? Because once you get into it, farming is a way of life. It's not just a, you know, like a short-term career. Once you're in it, you're in it. And it's like, it's always something that stays within you, I think at least. Absolutely. Those are words to live by, Kristen, especially (laughs) as a farmer. And my big thing, people had been asking me, my town people had been asking me, they're like, oh, how farming? I was like, well, we get to do it again next year. And that's always my answer, right? So, Yeah, I once heard that farming is a profession of hope and I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I love that. So tell us, well, this is a two-part question. First of all, what growing zone are you in in Wetaskiwin? And what types of produce are you able to successfully grow in that zone? So we're in between the two and three growing. I think at one point we were a hard two and now the way that things have shifted, we're closer to a three, but we're kind of in that margin. And so it can be quite challenging to grow a wide variety of crops because we honestly just don't have the reason for it. You know, at best we have about four months of good weather and that's really like glass half full kind of looking at it. So one thing that I have noticed is how transplants go in so that they're started, you know, back in March or April and then plant it out in the field in May or June. And I found that that's kind of helped. I've looked at different things for shoulder seasons and being able to extend my growing season, such as, you know, row covers or like a mini greenhouse with, you can get like a hoop house kind of. They're all things that I've played with and um, I'm hoping to learn more the further along I go. Really, I would love to someday be able to grow year round, but that's just not really feasible for me right now. And uh, it's also something that I would have to be on the farm full time for. And I still have an off-farm job and I'm kind of going back and forth. So maybe someday down the future, but 
Yeah. So the nice thing about Alberta is that usually at least we get some pretty good summer weather and we get those hot days. So I have found great success in uh, hush varieties. We have high nitrogen soil and it's really rich black soil. So there's a lot of heat units in it and there's a lot of nitrogen in it and um, things like, you know, pumpkins or zucchini or this year I did a wide variety of gourds and they seem to do really well. I've also had good luck with rhubarb of all things. I was gifted a plant from our neighbor and it was a plant that she'd always had. And so I actually have no idea how old this rhubarb plant is. And I thought I dug out all the roots and got it all out for her. And sure enough, it came back in her own garden. But from her one plant, I was able to transplant in 24 months of my own. It was quite big. So this year was their second growing season. And the first year I tried to pick, you know, sparingly, we enjoyed it, but we didn't, I didn't overpick it. I wanted the plants to really establish themselves. And this year I was rewarded with over a thousand pounds of rhubarb and it just never stopped. So I'm not really sure what the secret is there, but rhubarb really loves our soil. (laughs) That is insane. Over a thousand pounds. Yeah. Like every other week I was picking and it was just nuts how big these plants got. (laughs) That is crazy. There is a rhubarb plant that is behind our house. And I don't know when the last time, well, the last time I think there was a garden back there was when Justin there was on the farm over 30 years ago now. So wow. <laughs> it does not That's go special. away. That's a nice, yeah, no, once it's there, like you've got it for life. <laughs> <laughs> so Kristen, tell more about your CSA. What made you decide that this was the method that you wanted to use to sell your produce? So part of the reason why I wanted to do a CSA was because I like knowing how to pick beforehand. And so I know there's some people who prefer to do the market way. And the hard thing is that you're guessing. So, you know, if you go to a market and you had, let's say, 10 bags of carrots, it's enough to fill those bags. And this week, maybe you sell out and that's awesome. But next week, you might not sell any. And all of a sudden, you have all this produce left over. So the thing I love most about the CSA is the fact that I know beforehand, all of my members sign up before these starts. And I know going in that each week I have to pick 75 zucchinis that week. And I just remember it's a lot easier to plan my garden when I'm planting it. And also I find that I'm wasting less produce by doing it that way. So that's definitely the big reason why I wanted to do it. I also just really, I really love the connection that it brings from between consumer and farmer. So You get some of that sense when you're buying from markets or if you're buying locally. But these people that have signed up, I say they see my face every week. They get to know me. They get to know about our farm. They know my practices. They know that this year was a really hard year. And when I got hailed out, everybody was incredibly understanding. And it goes both ways. It's a symbiotic relationship where they're receiving fresh produce growing with ethical practices and I'm getting people who understand when things go wrong. So we both out on top after all is said and done. And it's also a really great way for me to share recipes and different ways to eat seasonally. And so part of my dream with fifth gen was that each week I would have these boxes and in the box I've 
put a family recipe that utilizes something within it. So if you had potatoes that week, I would put in grandma's potato soup recipe. Or if it was something like garlic scapes, which is kind of a weird thing if you've never been a part of a CSA or grown your own. They're the part of garlic that is trying to flower. It comes out and it curls and it looks kind of like a pigtail. And you actually can pick them off. And by doing so, the garlic utilizes that energy into putting it into a bigger bulb. And this scape that you picked is completely edible. It's a mild tasting garlic. But if you're a part of the CSA, you never would have really known what that is. And so I'm trying to bridge that gap. And I would put in a recipe. This year, I put a recipe in for garlic scape pesto. And it's a good way of being able to use all of that you're given and trying to reduce the waste of that. And also just to kind of, it's another way for me to bring my family and our recipes, our different traditions and things like that. It's a way for me to bring that into my business in one step further. For sure. And I think that is such a great way for you to connect the consumer, not only to your farm, but to your family. And, you know, food is such a a connection people we come together we come together to eat and share and just to have that added backstory probably makes the food taste even better <laughs> I sure hope so <laughs> well we know how much work went into the food so it better dang well taste <laughs> <laughs> wherever or however you're listening to this podcast right now you should take a moment and check out stitcher those of you listening on Stitcher already get why. For those of you who don't know, Stitcher is a free podcast app for iPhone or Android. Stitcher is home to over 260,000 podcasts from classics like The Joe Rogan Experience, My Favorite Murderer, The Daily, Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, and new shows such as Science Rules with Bill Nye the Science Guy. Seriously, Stitcher has a podcast for everyone. Stitcher also has smart recommendations and playlists so you can find your new favorite show and organize your current podcast favorites, like the Rural Woman podcast. Subscribe to Stitcher Premium for bonus episodes, exclusive shows, and ad-free listening. Sign up today for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. Use promo code RURALWOMAN for one free month. That's RURALWOMAN, R-U-R-A-L-W-O-M-A-N for one whole month for free on Stitcher Premium. Kristen, what do you think some of the biggest learning curves has been for you as a born-again farmer? Well, a big part of it is realized I don't actually know or I didn't know how to operate the equipment. Like I spent my whole life watching my dad or my grandpa or my mom even operate these machines. And I'm sit there and think, well, I know how they do it. And it's so easy. And then to actually put in that driving seat is a completely different story. And so I find my biggest challenge on the farm is mechanical and not even just the fixing, but the actual operating of these machines. And so that's been a huge nerve. The first year was a disaster. <laughs> I uh, backed the truck up into a hopper and I dented it and there was a lot of yelling and some tears and it was just, it was a disaster from start to finish. And each year since then, I've kind of got my feet under me a little bit better. And it's something that now after this year, I feel really proud of how far I've come when I'm looking back at it. I'm now 
I operate the swather and I was driving the grain cart and the big tractor. I seeded my first field with my dad this year and I haul grain. And, and so it definitely is taking a lot longer than I would like. It's frustrating to me to do this off the bat, but it's something that I see probably the most progress in, in myself is just where I was even within four years. Yeah, that would be the biggest part. But also I find each year with my garden, there's always a big learning curve, no matter what it is. So the first year, it was just a matter of learning the practices on how to properly clean and wash and package and how to create a delivery route and or a system on how to get you know vegetables from the farm to the people's tables. And it was more from the business side of how to learn how to do all that. The second year was one of the worst droughts that we've ever seen. I quickly learned just how much water it takes to grow a garden. And I mean, I understand that you need water. It needs to germinate. It comes up and you need water again and sunshine and all that stuff. But it wasn't until I started seeing my crops fail that I really realized how naive I was at how much that actually took. And so my first spring was really hard because I had to triple seed, like reseed things twice or they would germinate, come up, run out of moisture and the plants would die. So I would be reseeding it again, or it just didn't germinate in general. My carrots didn't germinate at all that year. It was a good lesson in the fact that now I know in the spring that I need to make sure I have an irrigation system and I need to make sure that things are monitored for the germination and all that kind of stuff. This year was the exact opposite. It was one of the wettest years I think I heard even in the century, like it was, it was unbelievable how much rain we had this year. We had over 50 inches just during the summer before the snow came in the fall. And so this year I learned that it's really easy to put water on, but it is incredibly hard to take water off. And I saw my garden flood more times than I can count. There was actually standing water six weeks and so much so that it was starting to grow like duckweed. Like I had a little slough in the middle of my garden. It was ridiculous. And so moving forward, now I know the piece of land a little bit better. I know that there are low will absolutely have to be drained or filled in somehow or planted around even. And so it's constantly evolving. And I think agriculture in general is kind of like that, whether it's, you know, big conventional practices or small scale, like what I'm doing or lives or but it's constantly evolving and being able to recognize that and change practices that you need to is kind of how you'll be able to keep up with it and how you'll be able to get ahead for the next year. For sure. And I think, like you said, the practices of agriculture are constantly changing and whether that's due to the weather or because there's a newer or better way of doing things, I think that everyone in agriculture and ranching and kind of anyone in between has to kind of look to see if there's different ways of doing things, not necessarily because they're better, but is this going to be what it's going to look like in 20 years from now? We don't know. It's always evolving and always changing though. Yeah. I think it's it's good to recognize these things now. And like you said, we always get to do it again next year. So the more we know, the better we do. That's a really unique thing about our farm is that because it has been in our family for five generations and that's spanning back over a century, we actually have seen how these practices have affected the land and 
we see the outcome of the actions that we're taking because when people who lease lands, you know, you're only with that particular plot for however long you're farming it and then you're done. You don't know the backstory. You don't know what's happened to it before and probably you don't hear much about it, what happens after. And, and so it's something that I find really interesting. And also I take great pride in, in seeing the health of our land because we've watched it over all of these generations. For sure. Kristen, what are your future plans for fifth gen gardens? I have a lot of big plans going forward. And the first and foremost is me trying to figure out a way that I can solely survive on the income generated from my farm. So even though I quit my job and I walked away from it, I still have stayed on casual at another hospital so that I can pick up shifts throughout the winter because as much as I love my garden and isn't really to the point yet where I can survive off that, the money that it generates. And unfortunately, I just need to be paid and there's always bills. And I wish that life could just be so simple as, or as simple as just, you know, living off the land, but it's realistically, I'm not at a point where I can do that just yet. So this year has been a big year of looking forward and trying to figure out a way that I can make that happen. Talking about it with my parents, we tossed around the idea of me buying into one of our fields for our grain production. And so that's why I've been really trying my best to learn as much as I can about those practices. And as much as I love it, there's just a really special part of my heart that's always going to be reserved for the smell of grain dust in the air and what it means to be a part of grain farming because it's something that's been it's the one constant through every generation on our farm is that there was always grain. But realistically, it's so overwhelming. I just don't know if that's the future path for me. So in realizing that and trying to find another way, I'm kind of at the tipping point here with my business where I either need to stay where I am because it is kind of the math that I handle by myself, or I need to up my sales revenue so that I can justify having a crew work with me. And so that's one route of going or one route I might go, or I guess one of the things I'm most excited about here is that I'm trying to grow large scale garlic for the first time this year. So in hopes of being able to sell a specialty product, which we just made and have the sale of seed garlic and then fresh garlic for my CSA and markets and all those different things. I planted 25,000 fall. So hopefully things will go well and next year will be a great year as kind of a pilot run to see how this goes. We started making smoked garlic, which is kind of a new thing, I think, where it's bulb that's smoked over a couple of days and you can use it like you would any garlic except that it's kind of got that smooth smoky taste. So it's a way of me trying to find something to do throughout the winter, something to carry me throughout the winter when my season is done and I can't grow outside anymore and the harvest is done for the farm. And, and I'm hoping that that'll be something that I can bring forward so that I can walk away from my off-farm job and find myself being able to just focus on the farm. That is a very cool adventure, and I am excited for your garlic. 
I'll have that, to be when we meet up. <laughs> yes, that is a lot of garlic, Kristen. <laughs> it is. Yes, it really is. <laughs> Kristen, you were recently featured on a documentary called Picture. Tell us more about that. That was a really cool experience. It was also incredibly humbling to be a part of that project. I feel like there's so many women in the world who are farming and are trying to make advances in agriculture and the company that did this, the people that sought me out, like they chose me. And I found that to be one of the most validating things about this big shift in my life. And I got the call to um, be a part of it pretty much. It was about a week after I left my job. So I was kind of freaking out and kind of scared that this was, you know, a big risk. And all of a sudden these people were saying that your story is, is so interesting. We want to learn more about it. And it was just a really it came at the most incredible time, like the best time that it could come up. And so the documentary mainly follows three of us. And each of us is at a different stage in our farming life. So I'm pretty new to the game, coming back to it and trying to figure out the ins and out, outs of how I want my future to be on the farm. Um, Lynn, another girl who was involved, she has been running their grain farm and um, I believe they have a feedlot as well. She's been running the show for a number of years now and is doing an incredible job of it. And Sue, who's the other lady, she has been a farmer for quite a long time and she tells her story of how much it took for her to be the, the main farmer like the 70s when that was completely unheard of and she had to fight with banks because they didn't see her as um, anything more than you know a farm wife not the actual farmer so it was really cool to get to see my story alongside two other incredible women and um, it was really fun to have the film crew come out and to show off our farm and to show the parts that I'm so proud of and uh yeah, it, it was, um, honestly, it was a once in a lifetime kind of experience. I was honored to be a part of it. It was so cool for me to watch that documentary, knowing you beforehand to be able to see this. And I will make sure to put the link for the documentary in the show notes for the listeners who would like to check it out and be inspired by you and the two other incredible women in agriculture. That would be great. Yeah, it's it's a nice little film. It's, it's short. It doesn't take up too much of your day. All right, Kristen, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? So the most rewarding part to me is being able to come home and to farm on our land. It's something that's passed down from generation to generation, and it's just this deep connection that we have to this particular plot of land here. And each generation has done something slightly different on there, but the main thing is not so much the what, it's the where and the fact that it's always coming back to our farm. We've seen a lot of different things there. And because of our close proximity to the Battle River, we have a lot of gravel underneath our soil. So over the years, they've done a lot of excavating and um, taken the gravel out. And what's left behind are these holes where the gravel came from. So this is the farming that we actually get to see the good that comes from the bad. So nobody ever wants to see their farm dug up and, you know, that part's quite hard. But what comes from it or what we've learned is that we've made it into something so much better. 
once the excavating is done, there's just these holes left. And by law, they have to reclaim the land. And my dad has made a deal with them so that instead of filling the holes in, which really, like farmers, it's not, that land will never be the same cropland that it once was. We've gone in there and they've disrupted the filtering and the drainage and all of those soil subsystems. So even if you put topsoil on it, it's never really going to grow the same. And that's something that our family has recognized for quite some time. And instead, because of how deep these holes are built or are dug, they grow up naturally with water. So like natural springs and snow and rains and whatever, and it takes a few years, but the resulting pond that's there is this vast haven kind of for all these different animals. And so we've gone to great lengths on conservation efforts on our farm here. And it's something that's just because of how much we care about it. And we want to make sure that there is healthy land and, you know, these important parts of our farm are still there for future generations. And so with these ponds, we've stocked them with fish and they've sloped them and put black dirt on them. And we've taken time to plant grass and clover and alfalfa and all these different things. We put in cattails and after a few years, they've really established themselves around the pond and that's a natural filter for this water. And so it's created these new ecosystems and we're seeing lots of populations of animals that normally there's been a decline in or they haven't been seen at the farm for a long time or they just maybe have never been there before. But long story short is that we're, they're thriving. And so it's amazing to see how much or how positive our efforts are being or are coming, I guess. They're, we're seeing different birds like, you know, ospreys and pelicans and all these different animals are coming in. There's moose out there again. And we've just our family has taken the notion of being steward to the next level there and trying to just preserve what we have because it's so important to us. That's incredible. And to have these ecosystems around your cropland are so beneficial for not only, you know, the environment itself, but for your crops. Like it's great that this environment is there because for soil health and all of those other reasons, like bringing all of this ecosystem back to the land is not only a benefit for, but for you guys too, as farmers. So that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that all of us have been people that enjoy, you know, spending a lot of time outside and we've been hunters or, you know, nature lovers. It's a nice way to see or to experience that and those, that close relationship with nature. Like we're being able to see a number of different species that are close and we have healthy population of deer. We have all these different things that are coming in and it's just, it's so great to see the land is so healthy that it's able to support the, all these different varieties. And that again, like you said, it's really special to our farm and our soil and everything that's all kind of combined in there. It's a symbiotic relationship. Right? Absolutely. It really <laughs> is. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, Kristen, it was wonderful talking to you and connecting with you through the podcast. For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you? I would say my best platform or my biggest platform that I use is Instagram. My handle is Jardens. I also have a website, which is fifthgengardens.ca. And 
it's a work in progress. I'll say I'm trying, it's one of my winter projects here where I'm trying to get an online step and to get a blog going and different ways that I can, you know, share our story and share a little bit more of our farm and make it a little bit more accessible. So that's where they can find me. Awesome. And I will link those in the show notes. You can find you and connect with you. Perfect. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.